Hey, look, it's Father's Day. And uh, so this is, uh, we're, getting, we're not going to do anything on Mark today. I'm going to do something about dads today. So uh, let's, um, let's start with this. Some of you might have seen this video. Great video. Greatest dad wins ever. Enjoy that? Yeah, it's good, eh? Listen, uh, they're good dads, yeah? They're great dads. Yeah, save the day. But you know what? I want to suggest to you today, being a good dad is not mostly about averting disaster. It's about disaster prevention in the first place. Um, we, uh, look, I grew up in a, uh, in a day... Um, I sound old when I say that, don't I? I grew up in a day... You know what my mum's mode of operation was? Uh, and I'm not bagging her, but it's just like... It's almost a generational thing. It's like... Don't do that, you might get hurt. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It's just like, don't do, don't, don't do that, you might get hurt, right? Now, our deal in the Sondergirl house is do it smart so that it can heal, all right? That's basically the idea. And just, it's kind of like not risk aversion, but risk management. That's kind of the way that we, we actually do it. Make sure you do it in a way that it can heal, all right? And what I want to talk to you about today is I want to talk to you about how fathers are actually mentors, um, Look, if we go right back to Genesis 3 where uh, humanity turned their back on God for the first time, what actually happens is Adam and Eve are in the garden, everything's going really sweet, the devil sneaks along um, and basically what he suggests to them is he says, listen, you could actually get more wisdom, you could actually be smarter than what you are, there's a, there's a, a place of wisdom that God hasn't told you anything about and what Adam and Eve do is they buy it and what we actually find out at that point is that humanity, we are people who gather wisdom uh, from around us. And that is absolutely the case when it comes to kids. They're just going to grab stuff all over the place. You know, there's a sense in which, in terms of wisdom, that children, in some ways, and we don't want to take it too far, but in some ways, kids are blank slates when it comes to wisdom. They're just going to grab stuff from all over the place. Uh, all you need to do is watch the friends that kids associate. Anyone who's had kids that are older than about three or four knows that kids just pick up stuff from their friends. They gather wisdom from their friends. You know what I'm talking about? Um, there's this um, kid's story bowl that I read my, uh, my kids and um, one of them was about three and uh, it's the story of Zacchaeus and it gets to the point in the story it says uh, Zacchaeus didn't have any friends and then the question is do you have any friends and it was like the obvious answer is like yeah you have lots of friends now he, um, he just goes no I don't have any friends I have no friends but this, and that sounds really sad right but he's a young kid he's got three brothers who needs friends when you've got three brothers um, but once they get older and they get friends, they just kind of pick stuff up, they, they, they draw wisdom from them. You can watch and, and see the people that they uh, imitate, the people that they copy, and you can see that kids are just like that. They're just gra- grabbing stuff from all over the place. And I want to say to you uh, today is, uh, what, what I want to say is, look, fathers are meant to be the teachers of their kids, the mentors of their kids. Uh, and you know what? I want to say this to you, dads, that you are mentoring your kids. All right? This is not like at the end of this service you're going to go away and it's like, I'm going to start mentoring. No, you already are and you have been ever since the kids were born. Okay? It's already happening. The question is, what kind of quality of mentoring is actually going on? 
What we're, uh, we're going to do today is we're going to spend a fair bit of time in, in Proverbs. Proverbs is a, is a wisdom book in the Bible and it is chock filled with wisdom. Here's a bit of a key passage for us today. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me. See that? Who's the he? Dad did. All right? Dad taught me and he said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Now, you know what I did because uh, most of you probably know that uh, the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. So what's the Hebrew word and what kind of sense has the Hebrew word got that we translate taught in the second line there? Do you see that? Because instantly, like when I say, oh, you've got to teach your kids wisdom, you just go, yeah, well, you've just got to tell them, right? Because that's kind of what we do, we just kind of tell them. All right, you kind of do the Greek thing, like I've got some information, if I can get my information in your head without having to stick a USB stick on my forehead and then transfer it to yours, I will have taught you, all right? Now, when I went to the Hebrew word for, um, for the word taught there, you know what it actually means? It means to throw, shoot, cast or pour. That's right. Is anyone going? Because I'm just going, okay, I've just found a glitch in my Bible software right there i'm just said that how is that teaching but when you stop and you actually think about it that is exactly what it is all right so you think about a bow and an arrow well what's a dad doing a dad with their children is actually seeking to get them to a point where they can shoot them and they're going to be really really useful do you get that so the teaching has an activity about it see teaching is not just about information teaching is about an activity and when you um when you look at uh the, the the idea of know for the Hebrews in Hebrew times, it's always got an activity to it. You don't know something when you know it in your head. You know it when you know it. And you know it when you're doing it and when you're following it and you're actually in it. So let me ask this question. What are fathers meant to teach their children? Looking at that scripture up on the screen. Well, you know what they're meant to teach? Wisdom. That's what they're meant to teach. They're meant to teach their kids wisdom. Now... You wouldn't necessarily have known this, um, just off the top of your head probably, maybe some of you might have, but did you know the first nine chapters of Proverbs are a father teaching his son about wisdom? Well, think about that. The wisdom book of the Bible, a third of it is a father and a son, um, the son being taught about wisdom. Now, I... um, one day I'm going to preach a sermon on idiots, all right? Now, some of you have heard me talk about idiots before. In Proverbs, the word that's used is fool, okay? You should never call someone a fool. It kind of says that in Matthew 5, verse 22, and I'm going to be in trouble here because I'm going to get into English for a bit, right? And there's some people a lot smarter than me in English, but they'll just put their hand up and tell me I'm wrong. Uh, nicely, Kirsty. Um, in Matthew 5, 22, just stick with me for a minute. In Matthew 5, 22, right? What you've actually got is Jesus saying, anyone who calls his brother a fool is going to go to hell, right? Now, my dad, that's basically what it says. My dad said to me at one point in time, he goes, you shouldn't call anyone a fool. And I'm just going, well, that's a problem, right? Because in Proverbs, it calls people fools about 24 times and then adds, if you go to another word that's translated as fool, you add on about another eight or nine on top of it, all right? So we're up to, let's just say we've got 30 times Proverbs calls people fools, okay? Now, when you go to Proverbs... Here's the meaning of two of the main words that are used, uh, that are translated fool, all right? The first one is stupidity, insolence, the state of being in complete lack of understanding implying rebellion. That's the main one. That occurs 24 times. The second one is being without understanding and so not using one's capacity for understanding. Fool, simpleton, a person without understanding, often by stubborn will. Now, in contrast, here's the definition of idiot. A stupid person. Now, is it more insulting to call someone a fool or an idiot? A fool, why? Yeah, because they're choosing to be an idiot. (laughs) You with me? Now, you know what's really interesting is if you look in Proverbs, these two Hebrew words here that are translated as fool, none of them show up in the first nine chapters. In fact, there's only two times in the first nine chapters where something related to 
foolishness comes out and that's where two different people are called folly they're actually labeled something all right what do you reckon that is any ideas you know what i reckon it is because the dad just wants to teach his kid wisdom he's not worried in a sense about like don't be an idiot at this point no what i actually want to do is i want to build something into you that's really really significant now back to the english about fool and idiot all right now can you use fool as a noun yeah you can right so here's here's uh here's the sonigal theory all right back in matthew 5 where jesus says don't call someone a fool he's saying don't call someone a fool as in a noun all right and it's in the context of losing your temper and being angry in uh proverbs i think what the writer of proverbs is actually doing is helping you to understand that someone's behavior is actually foolish and describing them does that make sense um so and then when you look at the definitions that i've just put up on the screen there the comparison between fool and idiot you can actually see that fools a much more caustic word in a sense than idiot because an idiot someone who's just stupid but a fool someone who's stupid on purpose um which is takes it to a whole new level Am I okay? Are the English people still listening to me? Okay, that's good. Now, I'm going to show you a clip from one of my favourite shows on TV at the moment. Uh, actually, it is my favourite show. Probably actually even my favourite show of all time. Uh, and none of you have probably seen it. Um, it, is a, it is a big call, but it's, I'm, I'm just into it. Has anyone here seen... It's on, uh, on uh, One. Has anyone seen uh, Whacked Out Sports? You guys are going, that sounds like a really cool show. <laughs> Not. Do you know what Whacked Out Sports is? I'm going to show you a clip in a minute. It's basically this um, production company that's gathered all these clips together of this dumb stuff that people do, and then this guy does his voiceover over the top of it and just rips on them for being so dumb. All right? And that's, that's actually, I'd probably like the commentary more than the footage. The footage is pretty good, but the commentary is hilarious because there's nothing better. There's a lot of dumb people out there, isn't there? All right? And there's a lot of dumb people out there trying to do stunts to look good in front of other people. And to do a dumb thing to look good and then have someone rip on you in front of a worldwide audience, that's pretty funny for mine. So I'm going to show you. This is a, a section from it. We're back on Whacked Out Sports, and I hope everybody took their heart medication because we're at a men's soccer fantasy camp in Veracruz, Mexico. In the 87th minute of scoreless action, quote-unquote, between fake Brazil and pretend Spain. But check out this aggressive foul. Suddenly, everyone's doing their best Bruce Lee. I hope that referee brought a few extra decks of yellow cards. He's going to need them. You know, the seniors' golf tour could benefit from a few wild free-for-alls like this. Check out this guy throwing a loose shoe at one of the camp counselors. Sorry, Pops, no refunds. And this guy's got a plastic chair for protection. He doesn't need to swing it. The mere sight of it lets the other dads know he means business. The victorious pretend Brazilian squad is all fired up. They just sent their wives to bring the minivans around so they can crank some samba in the parking lot and unscrew a few Zimas. On the bright side, all these dads got their wish of feeling like kids again. Violent, savage, out-of-control kids. Who liked that? Who thought that was just really dumb? Yeah, see, my wife agrees with you. She can't even lie there and try and sleep while this show's on. If I'm watching it, it's not good. But uh, the interesting thing about the show, it's PG, but it's weird because what do they do? They spend most of the t their time bagging idiots and then they switch at times into some really skanky stuff, right? With girls in bikinis skiing down the ski slopes and all that sort of stuff. And you just kind of go, yeah, well, you've just switched from being uh, wise, in a sense, by bagging idiots and actually switching into oh, a whole bunch of foolishness there. Really interesting. So uh, let me ask this question. Who wants a child who's an idiot? Anyone? So it's like, you, you know, your, kid, your first kid was born and, and you prayed and you said, Jesus, help me to make them an idiot. No, you don't, right? No one wants that. And uh, there's a couple of verses about that in Proverbs 17, verse 21 and 25. He who sighs a fool gets himself sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. 
So I want to ask you this question at this point. If you don't want to have fools and uh, you want to have wise kids, and that's the calling of a father is to bring up wise kids, how do you teach them? How do you teach wisdom? Well, you know, the first thing that you need to do to teach wisdom is to model it. Isn't that right? You can't teach wisdom unless you're actually wise. But it's not just intellectual knowledge, is it? Uh, there's, as I was saying before, there's a real activity about the, uh, the sense of knowing for a Hebrew. You see, you need to, uh, to draw your kids out, don't you? You need to be able to... I think one of the best skills for a father is to ask their kids good questions. All right? Just ask them good questions. Uh, I mean, one of the things that parents often do and that Ange and I have done on numerous occasions is when a kid's done something wrong, what do you do? Well, I'm going to go out and tell you what you did wrong. Well, that's not our job to confess their sins. That's their job to confess it. So I need to actually go up and ask questions and see if I can draw them out to that point. One of my uh, favourite questions for my boys is just to say to them, what do you guys think about that? Something will happen, I just go, what do you reckon about that? Now, they're probably getting uh, chinned up to me kind of heading in this direction but we just have a bit of a yarn about it uh, they come home from school and they say hey um someone said this at school and i go what did you think about it now instinctively you just if you hear something bad you just want to go as a parent you just want to go i'm just going to get out i'm going to shut that down and i'm just going to set it straight but that's not how i don't think that's how you teach wisdom all right you teach wisdom by drawing your kids out and asking them what they think of it uh, a little while ago one of my uh, kids came home and uh, actually told me something that a teacher at school had taught them about from the Bible. And uh, it just wasn't true. Right? And it's not even an interpretation thing. It was about a narrative in the Bible. And they said that something happened in the narrative or there was a reason why something was happening in a narrative that just wasn't true. And I, I just said, um, you know, kind of, what did you think about that? Oh, I, I think that's pretty good. Just go, well, hang on, just hold up a sec. Does it actually say that in the stories, in the Bible? I don't know. I said, check it out, you know. So he reads it. It's not there, right? Is it possible that it might have been happening? Yeah, possible, but it's not there. So I just said, if it's not there, you can't say it was there, <laughs> all right? And I don't want him to be dishonourable or disrespectful, but I do want him to be wise. I do want him to actually think about what's going on. And if someone asserts that something is in the Bible and it's not there, I want him to do the same thing I suggest that you do about what I say. You go home and you look at the Bible and if it's not there, you don't do it. But if it is there, you better do it, all right? Because it's not me saying it, it's God who actually said it. And uh, look, we know. We know full well that you can't schedule, you can't schedule a teachable moment, can you? Is that true? It's one thing I learned from being at the school here, um, especially with boys, is uh, you cannot schedule a good conversation. But they'll come you just got to be around them when it happens, all right? Which means that you need to be around them a lot. And you get this kind of sense also from Deuteronomy 6. Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Listen to this. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You hear that? That's just conversation all the time and it's just always happening. Um, what's fascinating in a sense about this scripture is, um, is how that's just kind of been eroded away by the Industrial Revolution. Now some of it may have been happening before that but what the Industrial Revolution did is it took men away from their families. People would work in the home, they'd work alongside their kids, they'd teach their kids how to do things like this but now what happens? Men leave home and, um, and they're out all day and then they come back. And I'll tell you, gentlemen, when you come back at the end of the day, if you haven't had the opportunity like I think Deuteronomy 6 implies you would have had if you're working with your kids, you better come back and be on at the end of the day. You get what I'm saying? You can't come back and say, hey, I've had a hard day and I'm really tired and I just need to have 30 minutes where I don't talk to anyone. No, you need to be on. You need to be on when you get home. If you need to drive a 45 k's an hour on the way home to pick up five minutes of peace in the car before you hit the ground running, uh, you need to do it, all right? Because your kids need you to be there and they need you to be engaged. They need you to be at home and not at work in your head. They need you to be at home and not on the phone. They need you to be at home and not looking at your Facebook feed. They, look, they need you to be at home and not sending a message. They don't need you to be in cyberspace. 
to have your head somewhere else and you need you to be at home and you need to be talking to them and asking them questions and drawing them out and communicating with them. They don't need you to be planning the next day when you're at home. You need to be there with them. They need you to stop them playing computer games incessantly so you can have time with them. There's a big temptation in our house. Kids get to do screen time on the weekend, they get going and we just kind of think, oh, we'll just take another 10 minutes on and then another 10 minutes on because it's just nice downtime. But all the while they're playing with some machine, they're not with us and they're not talking with us and we're not playing games together and we're not doing sport and we just kind of miss out on connecting with our kids. You need to be present, dads. You need to be present. And sometimes you might need to just hold on to something physical to remind yourself that you're a physical person in a physical place at a particular point in time and you need to be connecting with your kids. Don't be, looking, don't be always looking for the next thing, the next plan, the next thing to fix. Your kids are in your house and they're a wisdom sponge and they need you and they need what you can bring to them. Be present with them. Get on your knees when you talk to them so you can eyeball them. Listen to them and give your undivided attention. The Sondergeld house is pretty noisy. We uh, had one of our kids that was recommended to us we get the hearing tested, right? Do you know why? Because they talk so loud. Do you know what? The hearing's fine, all right? That's just what you have to do in the Sondergeld house to get a piece of the action. You've got to be loud, right? Some of you kind of go, I've experienced that from the Sondergelds, Okay? And you know, one of the things that I've been kind of really trying to work on with the boys recently is I really want to work on them taking turns in talking. You know why? It's not because it's easier for me primarily, but I want to make sure that when someone talks that we listen to them and we value them as a person and we give them their attention. The first nine chapters of uh, Proverbs are about what a father teaches to their son. And what I want to do today, normally I have three points, so we're going to be here till about three o'clock because I've got 10 points today. No, we're not really. It's just going to be quick. I've got eight from the first nine chapters of Proverbs and then two from, uh, from somewhere else. So you ready for this? Here we go. Fathers, teach your children to be wise. Do you see this? When I was a son with my father, tender the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and he said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments and, what's that word? Live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do you see what the dad's doing? Your job as a dad, if you're a dad here today, is to teach your children where to find life. That's what it is. You see, everyone out there in the marketing machine will tell you that sin's good and actually turn away from God is good and actually do whatever you want is good. But your job as a dad is to counter all of that and to come in and say, wisdom is where life is going to be. You will die the death of a thousand cuts if you do whatever you want to do. If you pursue wisdom, you'll find life. That's your job, dads, is to teach wisdom to your children. Number two, fathers, teach your children about the consequences of wise living. My son, if you receive my words, this is chapter two, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, you hear what he's done? He's just about to switch into consequences. This is what's going to happen if you pursued wisdom. All right? Teach your children about the consequences of wise living. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Not only do dads need to teach their kids where to find life, but they need to teach their kids the consequences of wise living. Now, you know what the Sondergeld house does every now and then? Is, um, is we kind of do whacked out sports a little bit without the sarcasm, all right? You know what we do? Is we, when we see someone doing something dumb, I'll just say, hey, look at that guy. What do you think about that? Because you know what Proverbs does is Proverbs makes fun of foolishness. That's what it does. It makes fun of it. And so we kind of do that. Just go, look at that guy. Look what he's doing over there. What do you think about that? Kids go, oh, that's really dumb. Just go, that's a good answer. That's a really good answer. It is really dumb. Don't be like that guy, all right? We like playing that, guy, that game. Don't be like that guy, all right? 
Fathers, teach your children to be wise. Fathers, teach your children about the consequences of wise living. Fathers, teach your children to trust in God. See, this is a a verse that's quoted all over the place and it sits just before the centre of a whole section of a father teaching a son about wisdom. All right? What is it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. That is your, one of your biggest problems. That's in the top three, okay? You just think you know what to do. <laughs> By default, you just go, I got this. I don't need to pray about it. I don't need to read the Bible. I just got it. I'm all good. And God's going, no, you don't. In fact, the fact that you think you've got it tells me you don't have it, all right? You don't get it. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones do you know this is going to be one of the biggest struggles for your kids and those who have got kids who are able to talk know this all right because they'll tell you that you're wrong the fact that you've lived for 30 years longer and they're like five years old is completely irrelevant to them they've got it sorted they're going to rely upon their own understanding and you just need to wise up all right you don't get it um and so here's the thing the uh one of the best things you can do is to teach your kids not to depend upon their own understanding. You need to teach them where wisdom comes from. You need to teach them about their dependency upon God. Immediately after this section in uh, Proverbs 3 verse 5 to 8 verse 9 to 10 says this, it tells you fathers that you need to teach your children to honour God with their wealth. It says this, honour the Lord with your wealth, the father says to the son. And with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And you know what we do here? Is we come back to the modelling that the parents are doing. You see, the deal in the Bible is that you give the cream off the top to God. You don't give him the dregs. That's what he's saying here. He says, take the first fruits, the best bit that you've got of your income, and give that to God. Then, if you do that, your barns will be filled with plenty. Do you see that? Now, my, um, oh, here's a question. How do you do that? How do you actually teach your kids to give the first fruits? Well, the first thing is that you need to do it. That's the first thing. You just need to do it. And um, it took me a long time. I mean, I, you can be sneaky sometimes, right? I was kind of sneaky for a long time. It's like, I'm going to give, you know, because the Bible, I think the Bible kind of indicates that 10% is a good start, all right? of, of uh, your first fruits um, and I, I kind of thought for a while I was just going no, I'm going to give 10% of my net wage <laughs> so who gets the first fruits if I give him 10% of my net wage who gets them Tony Abbott <laughs> isn't it Did you get that and it took me a while I was just going okay I actually got to step this up a bit because I actually believe that God will honour me and he'll look after me and he'll care for my family if he gets the priority in my life so you give 10% of your gross, all right? That's the first thing. You want to teach your kids how to honour God with their wealth, you need to do it first. Let me tell you something that my parents did to help me to uh, get this idea of giving and generosity um, just in my head. I, I actually don't ever remember going to church without having money to put in the offering plate. They just always gave me something to put in the offering plate. All right, because what they wanted me to learn is that's what you do. You go to church and you give some of your treasure to God and you give it to Him. So we'd always have a couple of 20 cent coins and maybe a 50 cent coin in our pocket. And I got together with the other boys in, um, and this shows you how, you know, how reverent I was with money and giving to God. We got together and we thought, hey, we could do something really cool with this money. We got on this, we got on this footpath. There was this long footpath that went up to these concrete steps. And we came up with this game. We thought, let's get our money and just roll it as hard as we can along this path and see who can bounce it off the steps the furthest. And we'd put markers in and all that sort of stuff. We're probably doing something illegal because the coins were trashed by the end of it. One of my buddies was there. And this, was, this would have been well, upper primary. One of my buddies was there and we were just going hard at it, right? There was probably five or six of us doing this every Sunday before we put the money in the plate. It's like, you can have it now because no one else wants it. He got in there and he just flung it as hard as he could and he just held it in his finger a little bit too long and it just went straight on the air and landed on the roof. And the offering came around and he said, it's on the house. <laughs> and I'm serious, that's what he said. That's exactly what he said. So, 
what did it teach me? It taught me and it taught my sisters, I believe, that uh, that's what you do. What you do is you give the cream, the best bit, the first fruits to God and you entrust having enough money to him after that. Fathers, teach your children to honour God with their, we- with their wealth. Fathers, teach your children to avoid easy but unjust riches. Read this one with me, it's a little bit long but... Hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. Listen, why? Why are they doing this? We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. And it sounds like the plot to a movie, doesn't it? All the bad guys get together and they kind of go, let's all go and take down these innocent people and steal their stuff and then we'll split it up between us. What does the father say? My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the light of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. Do you hear this? Now he's actually saying, if you go and do that, it's going to be death for you. It's going to be bad for you. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Do you hear that? The dad wants his son to live, right? Everyone who thinks that Christianity is some kind of party pooper kind of thing that just kind of goes around wrecking people's lives, it's just not. The whole book of Proverbs is come here and this is where you get life. Now, some of you might be going, how do I teach my kids to avoid easy but unjust riches? Well, let me give you an example. On Thursday afternoon, uh, Ange took the four boys to um, a uh, Rookies to Reds uh, training afternoon, Thursday afternoon at Toowoomba Prep School. And uh, they went and they did all their stuff. They came back to the car to get in the car and you know what was underneath the car? It was a football. Okay, it was not our football. It was a football, okay? And it was actually a football from uh, the people who came to run the afternoon, okay? It's an organisation's football. Now, you know the kind of conversation that's going on at that point in time, all right? There's a conversation about, we could just take this. Now, they had some buddies from their team and the buddies from their team just were saying things like, no one can see that it's there, you could take that, you should take that, just take it, put it in the car, no one's going to know. And somehow, it's easier to do that, isn't it, when it's an organisation, all right? And, and people, and that, it's even easier when it's an organisation that's a government that's taxing you that you don't think the government is using your money wisely enough and you're filling out a tax return at home on your own. You with me? It's really easy to do that stuff. So here's, here's an ethical dilemma over at Toowoomba Prep School. What do the Sondergirl boys do? All right? The real question here is, will the Sondergirl boys get riches by an unjust means? That's the question, isn't it? Will they take the football and put it in the car? The Sonica boys didn't take the football because their mother trained them not to get riches from an unjust means. That's why, okay? And I'm sure that you do this. Now, am I saying that, am I holding the Sonica family up as something you need to model? No, I'm not, okay? But it, I'm sure that you're doing a lot of this stuff yourself. None of this is new. Uh, you're probably doing better than us, okay? It's just I'm talking today, so I get to share the stories okay that's all this is fathers teach your children to avoid easy but unjust riches we were talking about it again yesterday in the car and you know what i said to them is i said um we want you boys to learn that you get riches by hard work not by sneaky dealings not by snaking stuff (coughs) six fathers Delight in the wisdom of your children. Proverbs twenty three fifteen says this, My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. In Proverbs twenty three twenty four, The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Here's, <coughs> excuse me. Here's my point. When your kids are wise, you just want to get really excited about it. Okay? And just get on board with it. And just get really excited and just encourage them and just go, that is just sensational. Now, I'm not going to get into any kind of apologetics, kind of philosophical debate about the existence or otherwise of the tooth fairy, okay? But 
Um, there's a lot of Sondergill boys losing teeth at the moment. It's not because they're punching them out. They're just losing them by natural attrition. Uh, sometimes there's punches that fly, but we haven't lost a tooth for that, that particular reason uh, up to this point. But um, one of my boys came home the other day. He said to me, he said, Dad, he said, is the tooth fairy real? Okay. And uh, now, just in case, you know, you've got kids and you're going, he's going to wreck it and I'm just going to have a counselling case after the service. Well, I'm not going to just say anything about that, but here's, here's what I said to him. It's just a classic line I use. They're probably sick of it. What do you reckon? <laughs> well, you know what he said? He goes, I don't think the tooth fairy can be real. Because I spoke to one of my mates at school and he gets less than us. And if the tooth fairy was real, we'd all get the same. <laughs> you see that? Now, look, that's, um, that's nothing about anything, really, at some level. I mean, the guy's life, it's not a life and death wisdom kind of thing, right? But it is wisdom, isn't it? He's gone to school and he's had these conversations and you can, his head's been ticking over. It's like, yeah, I can see what is it. I know what you're up to, Dad. All right? And he's, I'm onto this, you know. But do you know what? If he does that, and I encourage it, and he keeps thinking about wise things, you know, probably, maybe one day there will be a day where it is life and death. And, um, and he'll make a good call, you know, because his dad got around him and said, I am chuffed that you're thinking about stuff and that you're trying to work things out. Um, just enjoy it with him. That's what these proverbs up there um, say. Number seven. Fathers, discipline your children out of love. Proverbs 3, verse 11 to 12 says, My son, do not discipline the Lord. Sorry, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Do you hear what he's saying? He's going, Look, son, sometimes in life God's going to have a bit of a go at you about some stuff because you need to shape up in some areas. Don't despise it. Why? For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. And you probably know the other. Proverbs scriptures uh, on um, discipline. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Uh, and discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Do you hear that? It's like if you don't discipline, you're kind of killing him in a sense. So here's the point of these scriptures. Fathers, discipline your children, not because your, their behavior inconveniences you, not because it wakes you up when you are sleeping on the lounge, all right? Not because it interrupts your favourite TV show, not because you had a hard day at work and uh, they're, just giving you, they're just making your day harder. Discipline your children, fathers, for their good because you love them and because you delight in them. So the last time that you disciplined your kids, dads, did you delight in them? Was, was that kind of the driving motivational force behind you actually disciplining them? You see, you can see, and I'm not saying that anyone here is abusing anyone, but you can see how when someone disciplines someone out of the inconvenience that's been caused to them, um, anger can kind of escalate that a lot and, and make more and more things valid to do at that point in time. And it's completely not about the good for the other, for the child. So fathers, discipline your children out of love. Number eight, fathers, teach your children about sex. It's like the second time in two weeks, isn't it? Guys are going, we're going to keep coming to this church. They talk about sex all the time. Sorry, is that the uncomfortable laugh out there? I don't know. Are we allowed to laugh at sex? Do I need to repent after that? I don't know. Folks, this is from uh, Proverbs 5, 1 to 20. Now, just before I read this, I want you to note this, right? Let me tell you where, in the first nine chapters... The father instructs his son in sexuality. Listen to this. Proverbs 5, verse 1 to 20, which we're, we're going to read in a minute. Proverbs 6, verse 20 to 35. Proverbs 7, verse 1 to 27. And Proverbs 9, 13 to 18. That's a lot of talk about sex. All right? So let's read this. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Now, is that not what our 
marketing machine in our culture does, isn't it? It's like we're going to sexualize things and we're going to make it look so sweet. And her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, son, she is bitter as wormwood. In the end, son, she is as sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Do you hear the Father's words here? Keep your way far away from her and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honour to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labours go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan. Do you hear this? This is the father saying, son, I want you to know where to find life. I don't want you to be someone who groans. Listen to this. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. And the dad, again, drink water from your own cistern, son, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for the strangers with you. Listen to this. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with the forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? That's pretty explicit words. Some of you are going, did you really read that stuff? Yeah, yeah, you did. And you know what? We live in a culture, don't we, that has a great need for fathers and for parents in general to talk to their kids about sexuality. Why? Well, I'm going to get to that. How many of you grew up in this, in the kind of culture where it was like you just had to have the talk about sex from your parents? You know what I'm talking about? A few of you? It's just like, have the talk. <laughs> Did you, have you had the talk? Have you had the birds and the bees talk? Now, you know what I want to suggest to you, and this is in answer to my question that I just asked before. I want to suggest to you today that you need to have a conversation that doesn't have an end about sex with your kids not a conversation that has an end you with me do you know why because you live in a culture that is continually having a conversation with your kids about sex it just always is and you better make sure that you just leave the door ajar at the end of it the end of it all right don't put a full stop at the end of that sentence when you talk to them about sex because you want to keep talking about it okay so i'll give you an example I, uh, I think that you should take the earliest opportunity that you probably can to tell your kids about what sex is, okay? I mean, you've got to make a judgment call as to when that's appropriate. The stats in America apparently are that kids have their first kind of full-blown exposure to uh, pornography at about 11 years old, okay? You don't want to get on board after that, okay, because then you're just playing catch-up. I reckon if your kids can get it, you're good to talk to, talk to a lot of kids about the basics of what it is by about six. All right? I've found it particularly helpful to help them to, to get an understanding of what sex is in, in my boys really early on. Why? Because I don't want to actually be starting that conversation once they start have hormones kicking around because the girls have still got girl germs and I think that's a really good time to talk to them about sex. All right? Because you just want to get going on that. You know, the other thing is... Even if they're not exposed to anything that's sexually explicit, they're, uh, apo- they're exposed to sexual ideas. Let me give you an example. It will happen that someone will say something on the radio or one of their mates will say something at school that such and such has had an affair. Okay? Now, how are you going to tell your kids' fathers about what an affair is if they don't know what sex is? Okay? It's just going to be difficult. It's going to be really vague. You see, sometimes people um, talk to my kids and they talk about, uh, maybe it'll be their friends, I talk about mums and dads are split up and different kind of things have happened. If you've told your kids about sex, it makes it a lot more 
simple to talk about. Because you know what? If a kid comes up and says, Dad, what's an affair? You know what you say? An affair is when a husband goes and has sex with someone else that's not his wife. That's what an affair is. Straight up. Now, I've said that to my kids. And you know what they say to me? Well, that's not good. Right answer. (laughs) All right? It is not good. It's actually not good in any way for that to actually happen. And then you can say, this person went and they had sex with someone they weren't married to and then they ended up getting divorced because of that. What do you think about that? All right? It doesn't have to be explicit, but all of a sudden we're kind of on the page because they're going to hear that on the radio, they're going to hear about it on the TV, um, their mates are going to talk about it, and you just want to make sure that you've got some categories there to have the conversation with them. But the big idea, the big thing that I want you to get out of this is you need to have an ongoing conversation with them because your culture will have an ongoing conversation with them and you don't want your culture to win, do you? Do you? There's not a lot of good, redemptive, wholesome sexuality going on in our culture. Do you know, one thing that just kind of slipped by when I was listening to the news the other day, and for me, it just stood out like a beacon, was Bart Cummings. Does anyone know how long Bart Cummings was married for? I thought I heard 67 years. Now, that, that just stood out like a beacon to me because no one talks about being 67 years married in the press. All right? And it's a bit like that with sexuality. You're not going to get a good run with sexuality, so you better make sure you get the inside lane, fathers. Nine. Fathers, invite your children to inspect your ways. Proverbs 23, 26 to 28. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe. Alternative translation, delight in my ways. For a prostitute is a deep pit, an adulteress is a narrow well. She lies in wait like a robber and increases the traitors among mankind. Dads, here's what you need to do. You need to invite your children to inspect your ways, which means that you need to talk more probably for a lot of you and you need to not talk when you've got things sorted out. You need to talk to your kids and help them to see your humanity. Okay? That's what you need to do. Now, let me give you an example in my family. (laughs) <laughs> I, uh, I had to do a research presentation at a uh, research colloquium which is basically a fancy word for all these smart guys coming to a room you do a presentation they hack on you for it that's basically how it works um, nicely but they hack on you they give you a critical kind of constructive feedback so I had to do one early in the year and it was just terrible it was like it was like I'm serious like you're sitting there and you're going oh, it wouldn't have been that bad yes it was it was actually really bad I said a whole bunch of theology I don't even agree with, all right? It was like being in a, you know, a a steel cart behind a horse on a gravel road and the thing was just, the longer it went on, the more it shook and the more nuts kind of fell off and panels were falling off and it wasn't good. And I came away and I just thought, that was terrible. And even my supervisor said to me, he goes, yeah, you were really nervous, weren't you? I go, yeah, you reckon? I was like, I'm the dumbest guy here and they're all asking me questions about what I'm doing. I don't know, you tell me. Uh, I don't know the answers, so I, uh, I had to do another one about three weeks ago. And um, it's interesting the different characters in the boys because uh, when the uh, Wallabies were playing the Lions in the three-game series a year or two ago, um, they were, in the second game, I think it was, Curtly Beal had a kick from just over halfway, and if he got it, he would have, they would have won the series for the Wallabies, but if he missed it, they would have lost because time was gone. He went up to kick it, his left foot slipped, and he just shanked it terribly. Right? and just didn't even, it just fizzled um, because he slipped. One of my boys said, Mama, we lost the game. The other one's going, that's so embarrassing for him in front of 50,000 people. All right? Why is he saying that? He's saying that because that's the way that he processes life. That's the way he understands life. So you know what I did? I had a, a meeting with, uh, oh, I didn't have a meeting. We do have family meetings sometimes, but we were just sitting at the dinner table one night, and I said to the boys, I said, listen, I, I've got to do, go and do this presentation. Uh, down in Brisbane and uh, I said you know what last time it was just terrible I said I got so nervous um, and I could hardly just even get my thoughts together because I was so nervous in front of these people and um, we had a bit of a chat about it and we just got talking about how um, when you're scared of something when you're fearful of something it doesn't mean that you don't go and do something or that you don't go back and do something that you fail at it just means that you've just got to just really kind of set your eyes on it and just go for it right so I was just saying to the boy, let's just going to have a crack tomorrow uh, at this research colloquium. Went down there and um, 
and did the colloquium and uh, it went really well so it's one all at the moment all right <laughs> one shocker and one that was that went really well and one lady tried to own me and I had all the answers for her stuff so I was feeling pretty good about it and so I sent this uh, message back to Ange and I said I killed it which is like I don't even mean to sound arrogant in that it's just like I killed it because last time it just murdered me um, and you know what was so cool is I got home and Ange told me she said um, I'm not going to say which son it was but she said um, you know he came and he asked me he asked me how it went before he got home because he didn't get home till about six thirty, seven o'clock and you know I was talking about it yesterday and he said I said you were you happy when you found out it went well for me and uh and this is the guy who kind of felt bad for Kirtley Bill. He said, yeah, I was really happy. Um, I said, like, that's really cool. He goes, yeah, I was really happy that it went well for you, Dad. Because you know what that was? Is that was just like I let him in a little bit onto some stuff that was going on in me and he delighted in my ways. Do you get that? And that's what, I think that's what God wants you to do, fathers. He wants you to let your kids in on what you're up to so that they can delight <coughs> alongside of you. I mean, prior to that, I haven't even... I could tell you a whole other story. We were sitting, we were standing out in the backyard there and one of my boys was sitting on a fence post and the other one was standing near me and we're having this big chat about whether I should even do this study that I'm doing now. I was just saying, I don't even know. I don't even know whether I should be doing this or not. What do you guys think? We're just having this yarn about it. It's like, fathers, just let them in. Let them in. I mean, you don't have to let them in on everything, but just let them in um, and let them rejoice about how you're going. My kids would come up to me and they'll go, they know that I've been studying, they go, Dad, how'd you go? And we'd have competitions between assignments and grades that we get. And I'd just go, oh, I got this grade, what'd you get today? Oh, I got that to, oh, we're about even then, you know, and they're in primary school. But do you get what I'm saying? It's just kind of letting them in and letting them delight in you and what you're up to. Number 10 is where we finish. Fathers, teach your children the difference between need and desire. This is an amazing little proverb from Proverbs 27 verse 7. One who is full loathes honey, but to one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. Now, if there's one thing that kids need in our culture is uh, to know the difference between need and desire. Isn't that true? I mean, who here has ever said to their kids, man, you guys have got so many more toys than what I ever had. You've got it so good. Who's ever said that? Okay. At some level, this is kind of what you're saying here, right? You're kind of saying, and, and I'm sure that you've seen this with your kid, is like when they think that their desires are needs and they just keep accumulating more and more desire, what does it do? It actually means that they miss out on things that are very sweet and very good, don't they? Something good can come along and it's like, no thanks. That's what this is saying. It's kind of going, you stuff yourself with your desires and when something sweet like honey comes along, you won't want it. So fathers, teach your children the difference between need and desire. Let me finish with this and then I'll pray. This is where we started, right? When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and he said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. That's your charge, dads. And I'm sure a lot of you are doing it already. Let's just do it more. Let's get really good at it.